Um, it is a special day as we remember uh, the lives of persons we have lost. We remember and celebrate, of course, all the saints, but we particularly remember those who have gone on before us and um, read the names of those that we have lost as a part of our community of faith in the past year. And as we do, I wanted to begin this morning in terms of the message time by reading a passage of Scripture that has become a favorite of mine, uh, particularly at times of death. It's one that I often go to um, for funerals and memorial services. So I invite you to follow along as I read for us this passage from 2 Timothy. I am already being poured out like a sacrifice to God, and the time of my death is near. I have fought the good fight, finished the race, and kept the faith. At last, the champion's wreath that is awarded for righteousness is waiting for me. The Lord, who is the righteous judge, is going to give it to me on that day. He is giving it not only to me, but also to all those who have set their heart on waiting for his appearance. This is the word of God for the people of God, and we say thanks be to God. Would you pray with me? Come Holy Spirit and breathe life into the words that I speak, that they might carry a word from you into our hearts and lives this morning. Amen. Recently, I um, was told about a book that had come out a few years ago, um, and the title of it is Five Regrets of the Dying. Well, that topic got my curiosity, and so I was curious to, to look at what people had to say about that and, and found a number of sites online where uh, people had posted based on interviews and surveys of persons who, are, who were in a later stage of life, uh, what regrets they had had. And it was interesting as I read multiple lists how there were several things that kind of bubbled up to the top as consistent across a lot of lists. Here are a few of them. People wish that they had taken better care of their bodies. They wished that they had taken more risks. They wished that they had been more loving. They wished that they had been more forgiving. And they wished that they had done more for others. Now, as I was reading these lists and those five kind of rose to the top, one of the things that caught my attention, and maybe it did yours as well as you were listening, was to notice what is not there on that top five list. The typical bucket list items that we sometimes associate with things that we want to make sure we do before we die, whether it's a trip or a cruise or a sightseeing adventure or some particular event that we want to be a part of, uh, and not that those are bad things, it's fun to check some bucket list items off, but isn't it interesting that as people who were approaching death reflected back over their lives, uh, if they had regrets, it wasn't about missing out on one of those bucket list items. It was about things that had more of a lasting impact and that they knew would have had a lasting impact on their life and on the lives of others. So today we remember the saints and we give thanks 
for them. And in giving thanks, we especially celebrate those ways in which maybe they modeled some of the things that we see on that list. And as we give thanks for their lives, it is also always an opportunity every year for us to consider our own legacies. And so today, as we start a new series of messages about the uncommon life on All Saints Sunday, it is the beginning of an invitation to that kind of life uh, where we reflect on the things that have lasting value for us and for others. And so in that spirit, I thought I would pivot from regrets that people have had and shift into what we still can do. For those of us who still have life left, whether it's short or long, we all have opportunities ahead of us today, tomorrow, the days ahead, whatever days we have left, to do some things that make a difference. And so today I want to invite you to consider five things to do before you die. The first one is this, soak people with appreciation. I mean really soak them. Get out one of those super soakers and just spread it as much as you possibly can to let people know that they are appreciated. Now the Apostle Paul understood this. And often in his letters to the churches that he had founded in the different communities uh, that were part of the early Christian movement, he would thank them. He would pour appreciation and affirmation on them. Listen to what he says at the very beginning of his letter to the Philippians. I thank my God every time I mention you in my prayers. I am thankful for all of you every time I pray. And it's always a prayer full of joy. Paul understood that people needed to feel appreciated, needed to feel affirmed and encouraged. You know, I think that is something that in today's world all too often is underestimated. The power of a thank you, whether it is a spoken word or a written one. How many of you in the last year have received a written thank you note from someone? And I bet if I were to come around and ask each one of you, every one of you would say 100% that that thank you meant something to you because somebody took the time to express their appreciation. Somebody noticed something that you did and they wanted to honor it and they wanted to affirm it and appreciate it. People need to be appreciated and they need to be encouraged At the end of the fourth chapter in Ephesians, we hear in in Paul's instructions about how to behave and how to go about engaging with others to make sure that whenever we speak, whatever we say is something that will build others up. So get out there and build people up and use a super soaker to do it. Number two, walk a mile in someone else's shoes. Now, maybe you'll never literally be able to do that, and we certainly can never fully understand another person's life or background or experience or perspective, but we can sure make some attempts to seek to understand people better, particularly people who are different from us, who have come from different backgrounds and perspectives. And the truth is that when we step outside of our own limited perspective, we grow We grow as human beings, and we grow in compassion and in empathy and in understanding 
for the lives that others are leading. Now, Jesus is our quintessential model for this. It's exactly what John describes at the beginning of his gospel about what Jesus did in coming to earth. John 1.14 says, The Word became flesh and made his home among us. God, in coming to earth in the person of Jesus Christ, chose to walk more than a mile an entire lifetime in the shoes of humanity to experience what it was like to live on this earth and to be among other people. And so that life of Jesus should inspire us to want to come to understand others more as well. I am so inspired by people who, like Jesus, have literally made the decision to move into the neighborhood. That's another translation of that John 1:14 passage. Literally move into the neighborhood of persons who are different from themselves. People who come from different backgrounds and experiences. People that I have known over the years who have decided, I am going to live among this group of people so that I can live with them and in solidarity with them and come to understand more about what life is like. For folks who are different from the perspective that 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 person grew up with. Now, we may not all make that choice in our lives, but we certainly can make choices to come to know more about other people's lives and perspectives. And we will grow because of it, and they will be blessed because of our care and our empathy. Number three, build more bridges. Now, it's hard to do number two without that leading to number three. Because if we start to walk or try to walk a mile in other people's shoes, then we will want to build more bridges. We will want to do things to help connect humanity. And the truth is, the world needs more bridge builders today. The world needs more bridge builders Scripture calls us to this work in numerous places. Paul talks about the ministry of reconciliation that is given to us. Jesus, in his Sermon on the Mount, says this, Therefore, if you bring your gift to the altar, and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift at the altar and go. First, make things right with your brother or sister, and then come back. And offer your gift. Notice how Jesus connects our relationship with God intimately to our relationship with other human beings. And if we are not right in our relationships with other human beings, then we are not fully right in our relationship with God either. They go hand in hand. Now, one of the things that that scripture also points to is the fact that if we are going to be bridge builders, We're going to have to be people who are willing to make the first move across the divide and toward reconciliation. We cannot wait for the other person to do the work. We, as followers of Jesus, step out and make that first step to do the work. So two powerful phrases that need to be a part of our daily lives. One, I forgive you. And two, the one that often is even more hard uh, is even harder for us than the first i am sorry sometimes it's a lot easier to forgive another another person for what we feel like they've done to us than it is for us to admit 
that we're the one that needs forgiveness and need to say that we are sorry. I forgive you and I am sorry. Exercising our forgiveness and apology muscles is not only good for us, but it is good for others as well. One last caveat about this point. Do not wait until it's too late. This is one of those things that showed up time and time again on people's regrets that they had failed to reconcile a relationship with somebody that had been important in their lives before it was too late. Number four, live open-handed. Don't live with tight fists. Don't close yourself off from the world, from opportunities to engage and serve and love and give, but be generous. Live with open hands that bless others because we all have an opportunity to do so in the sharing of our resources. There's some interesting research out there on what generosity does, not only in blessing others, but what it does to those who are giving. I mean, you all know that adage from Scripture about it being more blessed to give than to to receive. And there are a lot of good reasons for that. One is for our own well-being. In a survey that examined people's generosity habits and how it spilled over into other aspects of their lives, uh, the surveyors found this, that people scoring high on a scale, on a generosity index, were more likely to be happy and optimistic. They were more likely to have close relationships with family and friends. And they were more likely to have good health, both mentally and physically. And then in a more objective study, not just subjective based on survey responses, there was a neuroscience research study in 2017 that showed a high correlation between people who practice generosity over a period of a number of weeks and the happiness as it registered based on the firing of neurons. Generosity makes a difference. So not surprisingly, Paul knew this. He was a pretty smart guy. And in writing to Timothy, he says to, to, for Timothy to give instruction to others in the community and to say, tell them to do good to be rich in the good things they do, to be generous and to share with others. Because when they do these things, they will save a treasure for themselves that is a good foundation for the future. That way they can take hold of what is truly life. Truly life. As it turns out, John Wesley's mantra of earn all you can, save all you can, and give all you can turns out to be sound advice for all of us both for our own well-being and for the well-being of others. And when we live with open hands, we can be conduits of God's grace, both in the giving and the receiving of blessing. Lastly, number five, leave the world better than you found it. Now, many of us grew up hearing from a mother or a father or some other person of influence in our lives along the way, hey, when you go somewhere, when you visit someplace, make sure you do what? Leave the place better than you found it, right? So that's pretty good advice for our time here on earth. And you know, these days it seems like there are a whole lot of people who are trying to burn the place down on their way out. We, we need to leave the world better than we found it. I mean, the question for us is, what kind of world 
do we want to leave for the generations behind us to inherit? What kind of attitudes toward others do we want them to inherit from us? What do we want them to see in us in the way we leave the world so that it influences the way they want to leave the world? It's all about giving our attention to the right things. And I find and have found for many years now, as some of you know, that a good place to start is found tucked in a little verse in the fourth chapter of Philippians. Some of you have heard me talk about the P48 life. And that verse goes like this, from now on, brothers and sisters, if anything is excellent and if anything is admirable, focus your thoughts on these things. All that is true, all that is holy, all that is just, all that is pure, all that is lovely and all that is worthy of praise. You know, if the things that we hear lifted up in that verse, if those things become our focus, I mean, it would be a good idea, I would say to you this morning, to start each day and to end each day just reading that verse, reading that list in P48, because if those things, if we were really to make them our focus, we can't help but leave the world better than we found it. So today we remember the saints. And as we do, we give thanks for the ways in which they have modeled some of these things for us. The way they have left the world better than they found it and invited us to see in them some aspect of witness of Christ-like living. And as we remember them, it is also a day when we remember our own mortality. A day for us to be inspired, to make our lives matter with whatever days we have left. To choose the things that will leave us in the end without regrets and that will bless the lives of others along the way. Will you pray with me? Loving God, we give you thanks. We are grateful for the privilege and the blessing of life itself and for the opportunities we have to use our lives in ways that bless others. We pray that we would be more Christ-like in our hearts, in our minds, in our actions, and that indeed we would live in such a way that we would leave the world better than we found it. By the power of your spirit at work in each and all of us, may it be so. Amen.